Well, I got to admit, this is going to take some getting used to. Because I got dizzy just with the intro to the intro. And I'm like, do I, do I look here? Do I look here? But it's so amazing to not be up on a stage and see people who are so ready and willing to go after God today. And we just came out of a season where we did a sermon series on Remnant, the Sermon on the Mount, that I don't know if we've ever had a sermon series speak so in the moment to a felt need in our church and cast vision for where we're going moving forward. So if you missed any part of that, I highly recommend you check it out. But I don't, I don't have a new series for you today. A lot of people came up to me this morning, like, we're excited for the new series. I was like, I am too. Don't know what you're talking about. Because we're not, we're not going to start a new series today. Uh, this is a one-shot sort of standalone moment where I'm not going to talk long. And I know when I say that, you're like, last time you said that, you went 55 minutes. And it was like, yeah, but that was better than the hour and a half I had planned. Um, this is... <laughs> This is, it's not going to be long. I really just want to set up a moment from the Word of God today, and I want to get straight to it. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. This will be cool to see this all over the place. So now, for the very first time in ACC history, we have a Bible drill that involves direct eye contact. <laughs> not with me, but with each other. So if you are not a single person or would rather not be a part of this awkward moment that we do in our church where single people hold up their Bibles. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Everybody else, Bible's in the air a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Okay, this is like the taken section and this is like the I really am available section, okay? <laughs> Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. How about our worship team, y'all? That was just ridiculous. Amazing. Mark chapter 14, I'm going to talk about the story of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. This is the week before Jesus would die on a cross and rise from the dead. This is getting into Holy Week. It's probably a familiar story for a lot of you who grew up in church, but I want to talk about it through a different lens today. We're going to read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The title of this mini-message today is called Break the Jar. Break the jar. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, break the jar? Break the jar. I believe that the lavish worship of Jesus can become an anchor to your ever-wandering heart. 
and that going all in to worship Jesus might just be one of the most well-kept secrets of the Bible to be a doorway and a weapon against whatever you're facing today. Break the jar. Give Jesus everything. Now, if you're anything like me and you have been following Jesus for a while, you know that it's frustrating to mature in your faith and still sense how inconsistent you are. This might be just the guy preaching today, but I feel like there's some others who have this in common. I've been following Jesus for two decades, and it shocks me how quickly I can go from closeness and communion with God to acting worse than the person I used to be, sometimes within minutes of each other. You ever have days where the word of God is just moving in and through you and following Jesus almost feels natural? I love those days. I love when worship music is just blasting in my car and I am like, let's go. I'm ready to tell everyone I see about Jesus. Everything's kind of flowing naturally. Bad things are happening to you and you're responding in a way that looks like faith and trust. You're not getting thrown off by all these circumstances that you didn't see coming because your trust is in the right place. Your worship's in the right place. You're giving money generously. You're available to serve. You're in good relationships with your friends. You're an encouragement to everyone around you. And I get to that place and I sincerely believe, I'm like, this is it. I'm finally maturing to be the person God has called me to be, and I sense his presence almost closer than my skin. And then sometimes, the same day, sometimes the same hour, it is hard for me to even remember my identity of who I am in Christ. The word of God starts to feel so fleeting from my focus that I'm I'm noticing that my emotions are all over the map in response, disproportional responses to what's actually happening. Like, you know when your response to an event doesn't align with what's really happening? There's something deeper wrong with you. And I'm more aware the older I get that there's deeper things wrong with me than I realized 20 years ago when I said yes to following Jesus. That I don't just need eternal fire insurance, but I need to be transformed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can go from one moment, total devotion to you, God. When we're over here singing available, I am like, Jesus, why would I ever do anything other than give you everything? And then I also know by lunch today, based on the behavior of my own children, I might be in another place. I'm that inconsistent. Some of y'all's faces are very judgmental, and it's like, should we be listening to him? And I'm like, I'm glad no one has a camera on your life, because I feel like we're all, we're all in that place where we need, here's what we need. We need an anchor for our ever-wandering heart and mind. And I want to argue from this passage that worship is that anchor. So I, I don't know a lot about sailing and anchors. Um, anytime the subject comes up of like fishing and stuff like that, I feel out of place in our community group. There's a lot of guys who like to do deep sea fishing. And so I kind of try to contribute to the conversation, but I don't, I don't have a lot to say. And then it gets into hunting and I really have nothing to say. And it's like, apparently it's bow season now. So I I was at a wedding last night and, and legitimately trying to make conversation about bow hunting. And I was like, so like, what's, what's it like to sit there? And, like, and then I asked somebody, I was like, what do we talk about? Like, do we talk about, so are you pulling it this far back or this far? Like, I was like, I don't, I don't know how to go about these conversations. I'm telling you, one day, some of y'all are going to take me fishing and hunting. And I'm going to fall in love with it. But until then, I don't really understand. But so when I, when I do a boating reference and I'm trying to preach on this, I realize I'm, I'm out of my element. But here's what I understand. The purpose of an anchor is to hold a vessel in a particular location. But that anchor doesn't take effect until the vessel wanders. 
So as long as the boat or the ship is, I don't even know, are those the same thing? Um, there, as long as it's sitting where it's supposed to, it doesn't really matter what the anchor is connected to. It's good. The anchor starts to make the pull as it wanders away. And I believe the pull that pulls us back into devotion to God, when our emotions are all over the place, when we don't even understand our own personal inconsistency, I believe that anchor is called worship. And I believe there's a connection between your wandering heart and your unexpressed worship. So two weeks ago, we did a sermon called Your Weapon Against Anxiety. And we saw in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus prescribes seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above anything else as the way to combat worry. But anxiety is not the only thing your worship works as a weapon against. Your worship is also a weapon against your personal apathy toward God. Your worship is a weapon in the moments that life doesn't make sense. Your worship is a weapon when you feel like giving up. Your worship, I believe, of expressing gratitude to God is actually the secret to remaining in your faith over time. Here's why I say this. Hebrews talks about persevering in your faith. And the whole theme of Hebrews, perseverance, think about this. And a lot of people read Hebrews and they go, okay, it's about maybe I'm going to lose my faith if I fall out of communion with God. No, that's not what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is about persevering in gratitude for the finished work of Jesus. That the battle for your perseverance in your faith is the battle for your gratitude. That if you remain thankful to God over time for what he has done and you keep your response a grateful thank you for what Jesus has done, you're going to persevere. And I don't know why we talk about longevity in our faith and we talk about all these different strategies for how to put Jesus in his rightful place in your life and how to read the right books about this and apply the right truths. But I actually believe that learning how to express thankfulness to God is the key to breaking chains. And so here we have a woman 2,000 years ago who takes the bold step of breaking a jar of alabaster, like this is the most expensive thing she owns. And when we get into this text, you're going to see her response as a response to what Jesus has done for her own brother, Lazarus. This is the first time Jesus has been back around these people since he rose Lazarus from the dead. And her grateful response with worship is not just supposed to be something that gets stuck on a page that we check out for a few minutes. I believe some of you need to be set free in your life personally to learn to worship like this. That Jesus is not the head of the religion that you ascribe to. He's the one who owns the affection of your heart. And so none of what we're doing here at ACC, I got to be so careful because there's like, there's like a movement going on in the contemporary church right now that's all about getting people to worship more emotionally. It's not about that. It's about letting Jesus have his rightful place as the supreme treasure of your heart and you learning how to speak words that align with that reality. So this isn't about being Pentecostal or Presbyterian. We got a little bit of both at ACC. I don't know if y'all knew that, by the way. People like to ask me, like, where do we land on the whole denominational thing? I'm like, we're like Reformed Baptocostal with a lot of former Methodists. And so it's like, we got a little bit of everything at this church. It's not about an emotional expression. It's about learning how to get your heart and your mouth participating in the song of heaven that breaks chains and will set you free. So let's look back at this passage. Go back to verse 3. Jesus Coming into Jerusalem, spends time in Bethany. While he was in Bethany, where was that? Right outside Jerusalem, 
where he rose Lazarus from the dead. He's super famous in Bethany at this point because of what he's done. Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. This is significant because this story is recorded two other times in the scriptures, one in Matthew and one in John. But there's also an account in the book of Luke where a year before this moment, Jesus was in the house of a Pharisee named Simon, but it was in Galilee a few hours north, and he was reclining at the table, and there was a woman who literally translated was called a woman of the night in Luke chapter 7, who comes in with an alabaster jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes her tears with her hair. I don't know if y'all knew this, but there's two different accounts of that in your Bible. So this is a year after the scene in Luke chapter 7 where that happens at Simon the Pharisee's house where Jesus makes the famous speech about people will love more based on what debt has been canceled on their behalf. That's that incredible story. So here we are a year later at the home of Simon the leper. Why is that significant? Because this was a man who was healed from leprosy by Jesus. And so his name, Simon the leper, is supposed to be a blanket statement about his identity that's rooted in shame that has now become the ultimate reminder of his healing and freedom that's his in Christ. Don't you love that when Jesus gets involved in your life, your identity gets turned upside down? Don't you love that he can take a name like Simon the leper and Simon's walking around without leprosy going, yeah, that's my name. Isn't that crazy? Because Jesus changes everything. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, because we have other accounts of this story, we don't know who the woman is in the Gospel of Mark, but we know from Matthew and John that this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And she comes in repeating what has happened a year earlier, except her repetition of the event is different in that she doesn't just pour out the jar, she breaks it. And that's significant because an alabaster jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages, maybe more depending on what social class you are in. This is the most valuable thing in her family. In fact, chances are it's been passed down for generations as sort of an emergency fund. Like this is the thing that you keep unless everything else goes wrong. This is your safety net. And she breaks the jar. Follow it to verse 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? We know in other accounts that this is actually Judas talking. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I love that. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare For my burial, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her act of worship breeds contempt on those who would rather hold on to their stuff. If you go all in in lavish worship for Jesus, know that those who don't understand why you're doing that might look at you differently. Know that it might not make sense to everybody. And Judas, who's over here claiming to be righteous, going, oh, this could have been given to the poor. Well, we know that that was not his heart. Scriptures tell us that he used to help himself to the money bag that existed for the ministry of Jesus to go out. And Jesus, in his rebuke of Judas, says, listen, you'll always have the poor. Basically, he's saying, yeah, the poor are important, and you got the rest of your life to take care of them. But in this moment, you got me 
in the flesh, and she is anointing me for my burial. Jesus was fully aware that he was on his way to dying. And the reason why this is significant is because it's out of place for how an anointing of a body would actually normally go in ancient Judaism. So the reason why they would anoint the body is mostly for a corpse that is going to decay in a tomb that hasn't found a permanent home to be buried is going to smell really bad. You remember the reason why they didn't want Jesus going to Lazarus's tomb was because of the smell? Like literally, they would pour perfume on these bodies so that, watch this, in the ancient world, some of the most fancy, good-smelling things became the smell of death because they became the reminder of the fact that, okay, we're trying to cover up a certain smell that exists. But notice this, because Mary does this to Jesus, and I mean pouring the whole thing out, if you break a jar of alabaster, that's like the size of a Coke can. And she's pouring it on Jesus' body. What's the significance of this? It means as Jesus heads toward death, the entire journey is marked by the fragrance of beauty. You ever thought about this? When Jesus is being whipped, the Roman soldiers are smelling this rich, beautiful scent. That as he's walking to Golgotha, place of the skull, what people are smelling is an aroma of beauty. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The, the actual Greek translation of that is to become a sin offering for us. That when Jesus was on the cross, he was a spiritual aroma to God, where God looks down from heaven and the wrath that should have come down on you and should have come down on me goes down on Jesus. And that aroma somehow, this is mysterious, is pleasing in the sight of God because it means you are pardoned from sin. So if you're here today and you're going, why are all these people singing these songs so passionately? Why is he yelling? It's loud enough. Why, why, why is this so intense? It's, it, it's not just supposed to be intense emotionally. It's supposed to be a rightful response because we believe what I just said, that we were bound for hell forever because we were born into an evil, sinful world. And if that makes you uncomfortable when Christians talk about hell, just think about the fact that you were born into a body that is going to die, and you did not ask for that. You did not ask for a world that is riddled with, I almost tripped, that is riddled, y'all were like, we were waiting, you made it a long time without almost doing that. You did not ask to be born in a world that is surrounded with difficulty, where evil is all around, where cancer exists, where divorce exists, where evil is everywhere. It just is. That's because we were born into a sinful condition that we inherited from our father, Adam. But now a new Adam has come, the sacrificial lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And watch this. The aroma of the cross that goes into heaven on your behalf is a sin offering done 100% by Jesus. And the only, watch this, the only contribution of a human being in the passion narrative is a broken jar of perfume to cover the smell of Jesus, a woman has worshiped her way into the story. And I'm not saying her worship contributed toward anything. No, no, no. Her worship was just a response to what she had already seen Jesus do on her behalf by raising her brother. But now Jesus is going, you're not just responding to my resurrection power, but you're aligning yourself with me in my death and burial as well. And now a woman has been welcomed into the story of God simply because she was willing to Worship and Jesus says, She has done a beautiful thing for me. 
Why does Jesus find this woman's worship beautiful? Because, and this is very important that you understand this, Jesus finds this beautiful when his worth is equated with our worship. When the value of his perfection aligns with our affection expressed. That there's a line. What Jesus finds pleasing is when human beings respond in such a way that goes, you are worthy of all of this and more. And this is beautiful in Jesus' sight because he knows his personal worth. And he's invited us, I believe, into a response to the gospel that looks like the very act that Mary took on. What was it? Break the jar. The message today is three words. There are no points. There are no clever lines. There's no principles. It is three words, and it's a command. Break the jar. Let gratitude become the marker of your heart by breaking the very thing that is worth the most to you. And a problem for so many of us is when our worship does not look like what he is worth, the issues and the cares of this world become heavier than every other thing that we're carrying. And what God's calling us to do is to get our eyes on Jesus by opening our hands to the very thing that we'd like to hold on to the most. I know nobody in here owns an alabaster jar of perfume, and that's okay. But you do own the safety net of your life that you're tempted to hold on to the most. You do own the addiction that you turn to when everything else becomes too much for your emotions. You do own that number that God has told you to give away to someone who needs it more. You do own that relationship where you could ignore it. It's been years since y'all talked, but you need to go back and apologize. See, worshiping Jesus doesn't just look like Sunday mornings on your knees crying out to God. True worship looks like find the thing that's worth the most to you. The thing, how do I know it's worth the most to me? It's the thing you want to hang on to the most. It's the thing that would make the least amount of sense for you to turn over. It's the thing that it's so easy for you to hide in the corner of your life and go, he can come this far, but no further. And I'm telling you, it is in the giving away of that thing that you worship your way into the greatest story forever told. Because what God wants more than the volume of your voice on a Sunday is the volume of your surrender every day. And the opportunity you and I have today, it, it is so simple that our gratitude would look like his worth and value and our eyes won't see it if our hands are still wrapped around the things that matter most to us. So I want you to take yourself to that scene. Really and truly, if Jesus is present in the flesh, what is your response? Now, part of that is awkward for us to think about. Part of that is impossible because we immediately go to, okay, I watched The Chosen, so I'm going to think about that guy, and, or, or I'm more of a Passion of the Christ person, so I'm going to think about Jim Caviezel, and it's like I'm all over the place with what that would look like, regardless of what the, your physical image of Jesus looks like. The reason why I asked our team to do Church in the Round today is I wanted a moment where we envisioned Jesus seated in the center of the room. And how would you respond? And how would I? And the only rightful response for a group of people who know the price that's been paid on their behalf is break the jar. And sometimes it takes time to awaken your affection and your emotions to this. But here's what I want you to learn how to do. I want you to learn how to worship in such a way that acknowledges what would have been your life if not for him. If the son of God walks through those doors and onto this stage Right now, those of us who know Jesus, that overwhelming feeling of gratitude is that awareness of what life would look like if not for him. 
So then what do we do? You start reaching for something to give him that's worth anything. Because you go, if, you, if you're going to do that for me, my only response is I, I want to break and pour out on you everything that matters and is of value to you. Now, here's where the message gets crazy. What you find out through the story of the gospel is what Jesus wants the most from you is not worship. Worship is the thing he wants for you. Because at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't want your jar. Jesus wants you. See, you think the treasure he's after is the thing you're holding on to, but the treasure he's after is you, and the thing you're holding on to is keeping you from him. You're the treasure in what? What does scripture say? In jars of clay. We have this treasure, and so what I want you to know today is that worshiping Jesus is not even about giving him something that's of worth so he's pleased with you. It's about him welcoming you into what you really want out of this life, which is him. I just want Jesus. I just want more of him. And so if you see a God in heaven who looks like he's eternally starved for, starved for glory, just looking around this planet going, somebody please sing to me. Somebody please worship me. We talk about the glory of God being the reason why we exist all the time. But our God is not a self-centered, insecure teenage girl. Our God is, and if you're a teenage girl today, that's not meant to be offensive toward you. You're awesome and your identity is in Jesus, period. But listen, Our God is totally self-sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me at all. He doesn't need the jar. He doesn't need our songs. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't even need our churches. Jesus wants you to have him because it's the reason why you were created. You are breathing today to breathe out the praise of God. You are bre- and you find your meaning in that. And here's what happens. Life starts to suffocate and things become more difficult and things become a bigger deal than they are the longer you don't express your gratitude for him. It's not about me getting in front of you today going, please start to thank Jesus for what he did for you. It's about you noticing this is the reason why you're suffocating on the inside. Your soul is dying to sing this song. Your soul is dying to come alive. And when you allow this to not just become the song that you sing, but the song that you live, now what what have you done? You've been included on the greatest story forever told, and you've been given the doorway to every issue that's overwhelming you right now. So all I want to do is set up this moment. Caleb, you can go ahead and come up here. I'm done. You should have received communion on your way in. If you did not, you can raise your hand right now. Our team will bring that to you. Go ahead and get those elements out right now. And we want to have a moment right here. Where if Jesus were in the room, we respond with the gratitude that we're called to. I believe worship is the anchor for your ever-wondering heart. Now think about this. I know this could be a distracting moment as you're gathering stuff, but why? Just a few days after this moment, why does Jesus hold up the cup and say, this is my blood shed for you, and hold up the bread and say, this is my body broken for you? Do this in remembrance of me. Why does he do that? Because he knows we'll forget. And he puts a sensory response to a spiritual reality so that your ever-wondering heart can have an anchor. What is that anchor? The worship in response to the cross. So when we take communion today, I want you to sit in this moment, and I want you to honestly do business with God. 
We're gonna leave this right here, and if you have to envision Jesus sitting and looking directly at you right now, I want you to take communion in response to that reality. This is the most powerful thing we could do together as a church. We go, God, you can have it all. And before you put one element in your mouth, I want you to answer the question in your spirit. What is the jar God's called you to break? Because once the jar is broken, the value in the eyes of the world instantly goes to zero. But the value in the spans of eternity goes to infinity. Take that thing. I don't know. It could be a relationship. It could be a decision about your future. It could be a sin struggle. I do not know. You know exactly what it is because it's the thing you want to hold on to the most. But let's take communion in a way that's holy and pleasing to God. I always ask when we do communion that husbands would pray over their wives right now. I realize that's not comfortable for everybody, but this is a powerful moment to allow the love of Jesus to be an anchor for your ever-wondering heart. And then we're going to sing and we're going to break the jar in real time. Let's do business with God.